is White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. Welcome in to White Sox Weekly. Happy Saturday to you. I am Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly. We got you for the next two hours. We'll talk about the White Sox, their series against the Guardians. Have some good conversation as well. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. You want to talk a little White Sox? This is your place to do it right here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. We will be joined by White Sox starter Michael Kopech in the next half hour or so. He's wrapping up uh, whatever he's got to do out there in Cleveland. And when he's done, he'll give us a ring and we'll talk about baseball with him. See how he's been doing. He's been doing great for what it's worth. You know, 10,000 foot view. Last five starts with a 293 ERA. Yeah, that'll work. That'll work just fine. But the White Sox offensively is kind of where the struggles have been all season long. Last night, a 5-2 loss to the Guardians. They had a comeback win, did Cleveland, scoring one in the sixth to make it 2-1 and four in the seventh to make it 5-2. And that's where it ended, or at least that's where the scoring ended. The Guardians shut it down with Emmanuel Classe and Trevor Steffen. There's a lot to talk about with this team. Uh, some breaking news as well. The lineups for the White Sox just came out a couple of minutes ago, like uh, 10 minutes before we started the show here. And the lineup, I think, is probably some of the bigger news of the day. Oh, by the way, uh, after we talk with Michael Kopech, television play-by-play voice Jason Benetti will join us. Jason's got the broadcast tonight, of course, on the television side. But then tomorrow morning for the Peacock broadcast, the national broadcast, Jason's going to have the play-by-play for that as well. So we'll talk to him about all sorts of things, all manner of stuff, uh, and also what it's like to call games on Peacock, a brand-new streaming service, a place where you can get a whole lot of morning, Sunday morning baseball. Uh, Okay, so here's the big news. It's what we've been waiting for. And it is finally time. Luis Robert is back. He's in the starting lineup. He's missed the last seven games. He is in center field and batting second today. Here's the White Sox lineup as it stands for second game of, for this second game rather against the Guardians after having lost last night the White Sox. Three and a half games behind the Guardians for first place in the AL Central. AJ Pollock is at the top spot. He is in left field. Luis Robert is back. He is in center field. Eloy Jimenez will DH. More on him in a second. Jose Abreu's at first base. Yohan Moncada's at third base. Gavin Sheets is in right field. More on that in a second. Yasmani Grandal bats seven. He'll catch. Elvis Andrews, who we'll talk about quite a bit this afternoon, is at shortstop, batting eight. And Josh Harrison plays second base and bats nine. Obviously, the return of Luis Robert is huge news for the White Sox because while they had two one-run wins against the Houston Astros in the first two games of that four-game series at Guaranteed Rate Field, they also lost a game by one, and then were blown out 21-5. to They have been, you know, kind of all season long, the White Sox, looking for that extra hit in order to make the run differential slant their way. It is at, by the way, minus 31 uh, after that drubbing at the hands of the Houston Astros just the other day. It was something like minus 12 before all that. The White Sox are looking for that extra stick in the lineup, have been for a while, and now with Luis Robert back, things hopefully 
even out just a little bit. Maybe that one extra hit is there for them. Tristan McKenzie was really difficult to face last night. Sox got to him early with two runs, but he struck out a career-high 14 batters, allowed just those two runs, and didn't walk anyone. Scattered six hits as well. The White Sox had a chance to tack on one more in the fifth inning. Josh Harrison led off with a double and then advanced to third on a wild pitch, but Sebi Zavala struck out, A.J. Pollock struck out, and Andrew Vaughn struck out to end that inning. Now, I'm not saying necessarily that Luis Robert is the one guy that doesn't strike out against Tristan McKenzie last night. Far from it. McKenzie was on one last night. I mean, the curveball was dynamic, and the fastball was very good. He has been on a terrific stretch over his last nine starts, keeping an ERA under 1.9. So uh, it's been really good for Tristan McKenzie lately. But what does matter, you know, is is kind of the process of this as Robert comes back to the lineup tonight against the Guardians. He injured and sprained his left wrist sliding into second base against the Tigers. This was a while ago. This was during that sweep of the Tigers. In fact, it was that first game of a sweep against the Tigers. Robert slid into second base in the sixth inning of the 2-0 victory. The White Sox went on to win the next one 6-4 and then the one after that 5-3, uh, but Robert did not play in any of those. He did pinch run. That was in the third game of four against the Astros, which would have made it, what, Wednesday night? Yeah, Wednesday night. Uh, he pinch ran for Aloy Jimenez. He did not bat. Robert has had an injection into that left wrist to deal with some inflammation, and that's kind of been the the weight, I guess. He's taken batting practice a couple of days, did not take BP the day after getting that injection in his left wrist. And we'll hear more from White Sox manager Tony LaRussa in just a little bit here. Uh, next hour, hour and a half or so, I would imagine. We'll bring it to you on the pregame show, of course. But since this is kind of immediate news surrounding one of the best players on this team in Luis Robert, we'll probably bring some of that to you here on White Sox Weekly. Break form just a little bit. If Tony's got anything to say, about how Robert was um, kind of reacting to that shot or reacting to batting practice and whatnot. I know you'd like to hear it, so we'll play it for you here on the show. All that to say, Robert, you know, and and missing Robert has been big for this White Sox team, despite the fact that they won five in a row and have now lost three in a row with the last two and the first one to the Guardians. If you look at the game logs, just kind of the, the role that Robert has been on, he's been as good maybe except for in the slugging department, in the power department, as good as you could ask, maybe as good a run as you'd really want to see from Luis Robert. Since July 1st, or from July 1st, I should say, all the way to August 17th, the last start he made, the one in which he injured the wrist, that covers 24 games. He's hitting 322 with a 372 on base percentage and slugging 517. That's good for an 890 OPS. That's on base plus slugging. He has hit four run four home runs in that stretch. He had driven in 18. He had walked seven times against 16 strikeouts. For Robert, I mean, kind of for anybody in this day and age, but especially for Luis Robert, a guy whose you know talent comes around after swinging and being aggressive, that's a really good distribution of strikeouts and walks. Hopefully, the White Sox can drop him right back into the lineup tonight. It'll be like he hadn't missed a beat, uh, both in center field defensively and batting second for the White Sox tonight against Shane Bieber and the Guardians. So that's the big news. That's the big news as we get started here on White Sox Weekly. Luis Robert, after missing uh, about a week here, 
uh, is back in the White Sox lineup. He is in center field. Now, the White Sox did not use an injured list stint to get Robert back in. I, I mentioned that he pinch ran the other day, so if they had had to use the injured list, Robert would have been backdated to that pinch run appearance on Wednesday night against the Astros as opposed to um, that last day that he missed, or I guess the second game of the Tigers series. It could have gone back to that. And a reminder, too, injured list stints for position players in this day and age, in this current CBA, they're at 10 days, whereas injured list stints for pitchers are at 15 days. Just kind of something to keep in your mind. So Robert is back. Eloy Jimenez is back as well. The White Sox dealt with two injuries last night that were both incredibly scary and also seem to have been very little, hopefully. We'll find out this, too, from Tony La Russa in a little bit. Eloy Jimenez injured or, or seemed to have something grab at his knee, twisted it, is what Tony said in the postgame show last night. Um, and obviously we know that that knee has had surgery to repair the hamstring just kind of behind that knee. It grabbed at him. He left the at-bat after going down 0-1 to Trevor Steffen in the game. And Adam Engel came in, replaced him. He ended up grounding into a fielder's choice. But, you know, that's the worry spot for Eloy Jimenez. That is the one thing of all the things that could pop up for Jimenez and really derail the White Sox, I mean, his rest of the season perhaps, or, or maybe even, you know, the White Sox' ability offensively to keep their heads above water down the last two months of this season. Eloy's been, I mean, I just read you Luis Roberts' numbers since the start of July, but Eloy has been that guy as well. If you take a look at his August, um, and we could drop it back into July a little bit farther. Let's just take Eloy Jimenez's numbers since returning to the lineup after the surgery. He, in 27 games, this goes back to July 22nd, 27 games, he is a 390 hitter with a 443 on-base percentage and a 568 slugging percentage. That's an OPS, an OPS, the on-base plus slugging, just over 1,000. 10-12 OPS. What I think has been really impressive about watching Eloy Jimenez at the plate right now is how often he's working a walk, not just accepting a free pass or allowing that pitcher to get wild or whatever, but battling in order to get on base, whether that's late in a game, clearly, you know, a guy's like working around him or something like that, and, and he's not going to get a pitch to hit, but at the same time, he needs to be on base because maybe the White Sox need to run or whatever. Um, thinking about that situation, shoot, well, in, the, in the game where Luis Robert ran for him, the White Sox were down 3-2. to two. He worked a walk against Ryan Presley, pardon, Ryan Stanek in the eighth inning. This was one out in the eighth, and the White Sox down by one. He worked to walk. Stanek wouldn't give him anything to hit, but he also was trying to you know, get him out. He's trying to give him the tough stuff. Eloy worked around it, fouled off a couple of pitches, got on with a walk. Jose Abreu singled behind him, first and second. White Sox couldn't do anything with it, and the Astros went on to win that ballgame 3-2, to two. but I think that's credit to how Eloy understands he needs to work on it bat at this point as well. Um, I, I think I read the entire line for you. If not, four home runs in those 27 games, 18 strikeouts, nine walks. That's that's great. I mean, considering Eloy is a power hitter and a guy who's going to swing a lot and getting on base at a 443 clip, uh, five doubles and 13 driven in for Eloy Jimenez in the 27 games since coming back from injury uh, July 22nd. Or I guess I should say since the All-Star break July 22nd. So that's that's a good run as well. 
it seems as though Eloy has avoided anything serious. It's just a, a twist that sent a little shockwave through the system and, you know, discretion being the better part of valor and Eloy being a guy who had surgery on that knee before uh, they took him out of the game and let Adam Engel finish that AB. Eloy is back in the lineup tonight, DHing. You know, you want to take the, the load off if you can, throw him in the DH spot, especially if Robert is healthy and ready to go in center field. That allows you to put Gavin Sheets in right. Now, why is Gavin Sheets in right? Well, that's because if you missed it last night, in an at-bat against Trevor Steffen late, this was in the eighth inning with two away, Andrew Vaughn wore one. Actually, technically, he wore two. It hit him in the front shoulder and rolled up, I mean, caromed off his shoulder and smacked him straight in the jaw. I mean, it looked, and, and the angle from center field in Cleveland made it look as though this ball hit, uh, uh, hit Vaughn straight in the face. I mean, on the, on the first watch, you could tell from uh, Len's reaction, from DJ's reaction, just sitting here kind of watching the broadcast along with the two guys as we do, I, I thought it got him straight in the face, and it was horrifying. I mean, it was really scary. You could tell by the way Len reacted. By the way, I mean, it was, it was bad. Fortunately, on replay and, and after you could kind of watch it through your fingers if you were so, you know, I mean, it, I, it was it was perturbing. It hit him off the shoulder, and thankfully that took a lot of the velocity, a lot of the uh, a lot of the hurt away from that particular baseball and then jumped up and got him in the face. Vaughn was bleeding a lot. It was a, a, an open lip. He talked himself back into the game. He was eventually removed, but... You know, the White Sox at that point had given up the DH in order to get Gavin Sheets a pinch hit appearance in the nine spot, you know, try and give some, uh, you know, some pop, some extra base pop. So it, it might have been that they were willing to swap Vaughn out, having given up the DH anyway. Love to hear from Tony about that this afternoon as well. The questions last night were much more about the health of Eloy, the health of Vaughn, and and walking Oscar Gonzalez on a one-two count, which was a curious decision to say the least and has a lot of people talking yet again about that decision. The White Sox got out of that particular inning after having given that free pass, but not without giving up the lead at 5-2. to two. Anyway, Vaughn's not in the lineup tonight, but he did say after the game, I mean, he told Daryl Van Scowen and the other reporters there in the Cleveland clubhouse, I'm fine. I'm good. To, I'm sure it didn't sound that way, but he said he was fine. Um, I, I guess all the teeth were intact. The the chiclets were in there. The, there was obviously there's going to be some. I don't know if he's going to need stitches on that lip or whatever, but it certainly looked like it was more open than you want it to be. Andrew Vaughn's a tough dude, man. White Sox first baseman are tough dudes. I mean, you look at the lineage. You know whether it's Vaughn getting hit in the face last night, staying in the game as long as he possibly could, or Jose Abreu and everything he's lived through. I mean, he. I still have, every now and again, I'll still have flashbacks to Jose Abreu and Hunter Dozier colliding with one another, like 20 feet out from home plate, both of them up to full speed. That was just a, I mean, you could hear and feel that collision up in the broadcast booth. Those were, those were NFL linemen colliding with one another out the base path and no pads. He stayed in that game, slid home, scored the winning around the whole thing. Or, or Paul Canerco taking one off the jaw and staying in that ball game, popping right back up. White Sox first basemen are, I mean, over the last three of them, lifetime first basemen, they are iron men. That's just what they've been. I guess, I don't know if they just give you that skill set once you sign up to play first base with the White Sox or not. I'd love to know. Uh, maybe we can ask Andrew about it when he's feeling a little bit better. And apparently he feels pretty good today. So uh, whether he's available for a pinch hit or not, 
It's a little bit unclear, but as soon as Tony talks with reporters for the pregame press conference, we'll let you know here on White Sox Weekly. White Sox fans, join us for Elvis Night and postgame fireworks presented by Beggar's Pizza next Friday, August 26th. The White Sox take on the Arizona Diamondbacks at 7.10 p.m. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash promos. We hope to be joined by Michael Kopech in just a little bit. He's finishing up the pregame routine. Uh, he'll give us a ring. We'll talk with Michael about the White Sox, about his season so far. We'll talk with Jason Benetti in a little while here on White Sox Weekly as well. I'm Connor McKnight. This is the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Back to White Sox Weekly. You can join us at Guaranteed Rate Field next Saturday, August 27th. The White Sox take on the Diamondbacks at 6:10 that night. And the first 20,000 fans will receive a White Sox cap presented by CIBC. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash promos. I'm Connor McKnight. You're listening to White Sox Weekly. Sox and Guardians coming up. Game two of a three-game series tonight. It's a Johnny Cueto-Shane Bieber matchup this evening. Pre-game show starts at 4.30. First pitch, 5.10. Len Casper, Darren Jackson coming your way at 5 o'clock. You know the drill by this point. Hoping to be joined by Michael Kopech in just a little bit. Jason Benetti is scheduled to join the show as well. I just, you know, was looking around and doing some research leading into the start tonight. Uh, the game tonight, I should say. But particularly about Johnny Cueto's start upcoming. I, Johnny Cueto, I, we've talked about Johnny Cueto a couple of times on the broadcast, during the game with Len and DJ, in post-game shows after he's pitched, all that kind of stuff. I don't know that you – and maybe we should do this before the end of the season. Jake Cantu and Eric Ostrowski are producers on the other side. Maybe, this, I, maybe I need a reminder on this one, but – at, at some point here, if Cueto continues pitching the way he has, and I guess even at some point now, given how he's pitched so far, you could probably take Johnny Cueto's season and slide that into the list of all-time best White Sox free agent signings and, and have a conversation about Johnny Cueto and, and exactly how high up the ladder you can... I don't, did you guys watch... When you were home at school, right, or home skipping school, when you were sick, maybe you actually were sick and you weren't just skipping like I was, you would watch The prices Right, right? And they had the one, what was it, like the yodeling mountain climber guy, right? And it's, I forget what the name of the game was. Somebody look at the name of the game. Maybe you watched it like I did, staying home and, like, you know, just like uh, bailing out of school, that kind of thing. But you would guess the prices of these items, right? And then he would climb up the thing or whatever. And at some point, if you guess too high or you guess too low or you guess wrong too many times, wherever it went, the yodeler fella would go over the cliff. Cliffhangers? It was called cliffhangers? It's called cliffhangers. And it feels like you could, you could almost play cliffhangers with Johnny Cueto and the rest of the White Sox free agent signings. Like, maybe even of all time? I don't... Maybe... That's how good Cueto's been. At least that's maybe how it how good it feels Cueto has been. Because there's two things at work here for me when you look at Johnny Cueto and, and the body of work. Yes, he went eight innings and gave up one against the Astros the other night in a 4-2 White Sox winner. Just an, an incredible start. And then there was the eight-inning, 12-hit game where they, they lost to the Rangers, but he only gave up three and stayed in there for eight innings, got a whole bunch of double plays turned behind him. There was the eight-inning start against the Tigers where he gave up 
No runs, five hits, struck out five, and didn't walk anybody. For me, there was also, and I'm looking forward to asking Michael about this when we have him on in just a second, uh, or in just a little bit, I think. Johnny Cueto came out of the literal hot tub to pitch in relief of Johnny Cueto, of, of Michael Kopech, rather, when his knee barked on him in a start against Texas. He was in the hot tub, chilling. I mean, he was doing his work day. No doubt he was doing his work that day, getting ready for his next start in a couple of days, and said, don't worry, guys, I got this. And then threw five innings of relief for the second time in his career out of the bullpen. Just threw, kept him in the ballgame. Saved a bullpen. They were in the midst of like a 17-day, 18-game uh, stretch. And he came out and threw. On the year so far for Johnny Cueto, it's a 278 ERA in 110 innings. And I said earlier that there are two things at work when you talk about Johnny Cueto. And that's, one, how good he's been and how he gets about doing all of that, right, with the shimmy and the style and throwing any pitch to all four quadrants, finding, you know, being able to throw anything at any time in any place. There is also just kind of the overall, I think we could say it kind of frankly, right, disappointment that the White Sox have been up to this point. They are 61-59. and 59. They are three and a half games behind the Guardians. This was an AL Central that everybody hoped would be theirs and fairly easily. They were a World Series pick by many. Friend of White Sox Weekly, Jeff Passan, among them. And yet, Johnny Cueto has been one of a handful of guys, not just one, but one of a handful of guys to keep the White Sox above water. So I, I think in that way, you have both the performance of Johnny Cueto, which is undoubtedly incredible, a 278 ERA, 110 innings. He's gone to the post 17 times. He's got nine quality starts in a row, I think, 13 total quality starts, the whole thing. I mean, this is – it's all of that. And, yeah, you can absolutely look at some of the peripherals and go, okay, well, the fielding independent percent per pitching, the FIP – 3.87, almost a run, more than a run higher than his ERA. He's getting lucky. Yeah, I get it. Look at the contact he's given up, though. Pretty decent contact rates he's given up as far as the hard hit stuff goes, as far as the expected batting averages go. You know, I don't know how you as a, as a White Sox fan or a baseball fan are necessarily evaluating um, hard contact rates and expected percentages I, I tend to get into it a little bit. I, I like it some, but it definitely is some of the more brand new uh, stats that are being thrown our way on, on television broadcasts primarily, although Len and DJ do talk about it a lot on radio. It's, it's just more difficult to work in some of that advanced sabermetric, quote-unquote, stuff, the expected percentages on radio, because, as you know, listening, it's, it's difficult for me to say three or four numbers in a row and keep track of all that, just... In terms of an audio sense, if you got it on the television, they throw it up on the screen. You can literally look at the numbers as Jason or Steve or Len reads it to you while they're talking baseball. So yeah, a little bit of a different dynamic there. Still, if you do look at some of the expected slugging, expected batting average and things like that, Cueto looks like he's getting away with it a little bit. On the other hand, when you watch his starts, 
when he gets into trouble, when he's given up those hard hits, when he's gone, you know, somebody takes him down the line or, or, or shoots one into the gap or whatever, he, he almost seems to pitch better or get bigger outs or get his strikeouts in those spots. DJ talked about it the other day. Cueto needed a double play in that start against the Astros, and he pitched for it. There aren't a lot of guys that have the command and control of, of the entire arsenal that can get to that spot against dangerous hitters and induce that ground ball double play. Kopech's done it. It's been, uh, rather, Cueto's done it. It's been a lot of fun to watch him do it so far this year. He's got the start against the Cleveland Guardians, and they are a contact-oriented team. I, I would be lying to you if I said that this wasn't going to be, I would guess, somewhat of a tough matchup for Johnny Cueto just with how little the Guardians strike out and how often they can make quality contact on pitches outside the strike zone. We saw that from Stephen Kwan last night. He is quickly putting himself into the mix for one of the best bat-to-ball skills in the game. Uh, maybe even a rookie of the year kind of thing in the American League. We shall see. Sox fans, 2023 ticket packages are available now. We offer a variety of plans. When you lock in today, you'll get postseason access, flexible payment plans, savings on single games, great seat locations, and more. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash season tickets. I'll tell you what's coming up on the show in just 10 seconds. Pause it here for Station ID. Old National Bank Studio on State Street. This is ESPN 1000, a good karma brand's radio station. On WMVP, WSAG HD2, Chicago. This is White Sox Weekly. You're listening to the ESPN 1000, Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Jason Benetti's going to hop on at 3.30. We'll talk to Michael Kopech at some point between now and then as well. I'm Connor McKnight. It's the Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. Insurance issued by subsidiary companies, securing financial services, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Sox fans, join us for Lyrical Lemonade Night on Tuesday, August 30th, as the White Sox take on the Kansas City Royals at 7.10 p.m. The first 1,200 fans to purchase tickets will receive a stadium-exclusive White Sox jersey. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash lyrical. That's whitesox.com slash lyrical. I'm Connor McKnight. You're listening to White Sox Weekly here on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Leading you up to the White Sox and Guardians game coming up in just a little bit this evening. 5-10 first pitch, Johnny Cueto, Shane Bieber, the starters. Looking forward to a conversation with Michael Kopech and Jason Benetti on the show today. Looking forward to talking with you as well. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. Wanted to talk a little bit about the newest White Sox, Elvis Andrews, uh, before we got too far down the line. Andrews made his debut as a White Sox last night. He was 0-4 with two strikeouts, one of them coming against Tristan McKenzie, who had 14 in total, uh, and then one of them against Emmanuel Classe, who is very good and strikes out a lot of people as well. Andrews, on the season... You know, the numbers won't wow you. I mean, he is a 33-year-old shortstop that was available uh, in the middle of August. But the White Sox were in a situation, and, and I guess technically speaking remain in a situation, where they are without their top three middle infielders as you drew it up when the season started. Tim Anderson is out. He had surgery on that ligament in his left hand. It is likely that he is going to remain out for a little while. The initial uh, surgery and then, you know, kind of expected missed time put Anderson's return somewhere around September 20th 
21st, 22nd, something like that. It, it is still entirely possible that Anderson is able to return to the lineup earlier than that. We have, I mean, this team has seen players uh, beat the return to play schedules in a couple of different circumstances. One of them that comes to mind is uh, Yasmani Grandal last year coming back. I want to say nearly three weeks earlier than the initial uh, missed play estimate had him out. Uh, and then he just, you know, Yasmani Grandal did what he did last year. Be great to see that guy in this lineup at some point this season. Hasn't been the case yet. Uh, hopefully it does. The White Sox would certainly use some pop from the left side as well as some better on-base percentage numbers. All that to say, maybe Tim Anderson comes back earlier than that. But if it is until September, let's call it 20th, just because the White Sox finish an off day on the 19th and then come back on the 20th for their second-to-last homestand of the season, that means that Anderson could still catch some very impactful games down here late in the schedule. And I want to kind of take a look at this schedule right now because as much as the Sox are playing against the Guardians, you know, quite literally tonight and last night and and tomorrow, um, the schedule matters a lot for them right now too. As they are in a three-team dogfight in the AL Central, uh, and they are that third team, that third guy in the hockey fight, which is not an enviable place to be. That guy always seems to get sent to the bench. I mean, guys don't really fight all that much more in hockey. But back in my day, you know, like Gretzky 94, that kind of stuff, is. There's a lot of fighting on the Sega Genesis, all right? That's, that's where it was, so that's where I come from. Regardless, the Sox have this series against the Guardians, then they fly out to Kansas City on Monday for a quick day game there. That is part of the lockout-adjusted schedule. Remember, we missed 99 games or 99 days in the offseason uh, and then had a jimmy with the schedule. Then they are out east to face the Baltimore Orioles. The Orioles are surging and suddenly making their move for the AL wildcard or an AL wildcard spot. Sox come back home next Friday for a three-game series against the Diamondbacks. I was just telling you about all the cool giveaways for that series, both Friday and Saturday night. Make sure you hang out for those. Off day on Monday. First off day in 20 days for the White Sox coming up on Monday the 29th. They stay home after that off day for a three-game series against Kansas City. Then they host the Twins. Second to last, pardon, third to last meeting against the Twins to start September. That's second, third, and fourth. They have a West Coast swing against the Mariners and A's. Mariners are very much in it. They made that trade for Luis Castillo right before the deadline. They want to make the playoffs for the first time in more than two decades. The Oakland A's are also part of that West Coast trip, and that should be an easier stretch, although the A's have proven feisty. Back home against the Rockies, then Detroit, then, and this is where Tim Anderson could come back, maybe earlier, but this was the projected, initial projected estimate for T.A. Somewhere around this series against the Cleveland Guardians again. It's a home series, the 20th, 21st, and 22nd of September. They stay home to face the Tigers for three games that weekend then are on the road to play the Minnesota Twins, then the San Diego Padres, and then at home to face the Twins in the final series of the year. I'll go through a little bit of what the Twins' schedule looks like and the Guardians' schedule, for that matter, um, leading up towards the end of the season, or the end of the show, I should say. But we saw last week, and I talked about this some, that because of a couple of different things, um, knocking off an 19-game stretch against teams with under 500 records and the White Sox only going 11-9 uh, and in that stretch, 
and the Baltimore Orioles playing a lot better than anyone figured they would heading up to the All-Star break and beyond. The White Sox strength of schedule has jumped up just a little bit. Still one of the easier ones in baseball to end the stretch. But as of last week, the Guardians, White Sox, and Twins all had the 21st, 22nd, and 23rd hardest, or to say that you know some of the top 10 easiest schedules remaining. But they are all right there, all grouped yet again in terms of strength of schedule remaining. The, the break that the White Sox hoped to have there in, in terms of scheduling difficulty, that's gone a little bit as well. What's left, I think, is obviously pretty clear. you got to beat divisional opponents. You, you just have to. Now, a sweep of the Guardians, which is no longer possible because they lost last night 5-2 to two in a really heartbreaking fashion, uh, a sweep would have put them on top of the division. They can now pick up two games and get themselves back to one and a half behind the Guardians. It's minus three and a half starting today. Um, and then, you know, you face the Royals and the Orioles, which, you know, the, the Royals should be a win. They're playing a lot of, you know, easy young kids. Vinny Pasquantino, though, and Nick Prado, though, and Bobby Witt Jr., though. I mean, there's a lot of kids in that lineup that are hungry and having a lot of fun playing baseball. Pasquantino and Prado hit Lance Lynn for two two-run home runs uh, just in the series prior when the White Sox had that four-game split against Kansas City. This is a lineup, the White Sox lineup, that is still, unfortunately, what it has been for most of the year. It's not walked, and it's not hit for a whole lot of power. And those were going to be two things that were if not bedrocks for the White Sox offense, certainly things they were better than most other teams at, and that has not been the case, especially in terms of the slugging percentage. We started this whole conversation talking about Elvis Andrews and what he can do for the White Sox with that middle infield of Tim Anderson, Larry Garcia, and Danny Mendick, all on various states of the injured list. Mendick, of course, done for the season. Larry should be back shortly, and Tim Anderson back somewhere around that September 20th range or so. Andrews just needs to be the dude to hold it down. It's short from my perspective. Get a couple of hits, work some solid veteran at-bats, be solid at shortstop. I very much uh, respect the triple-A and double-A season that Lenin Sosa has had. Um, he was called up and pressed into action, see if he could provide a spark. He's 22 years old, and I think he's got a little bit more seasoning to do at triple-A Charlotte, and he will do it. I think he's a really interesting young prospect, but he needs some more time back. Romy Gonzalez is a guy whose best defensive position probably isn't short. We've seen him handle a couple of games there, but you want a guy that, you know, you just don't have to think about much at shortstop for the White Sox right now, given the injuries that they're dealing with. So Elvis Andrus was a very much a no-brainer pickup by this front office. He's been inserted into the lineup and is batting eight and playing short again for the White Sox today. So that's the where are we at now with the schedule and with the shortstop position for the White Sox. Going to take a quick break. Lots more to do. Jason Benetti is going to join us at 3.30. Still hoping to have a conversation with Michael Kopech here shortly. I'm Connor McKnight listening to White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. 99% APR financing on our most popular sedans and SUVs. See your local Chicago and Northwest Indiana Hyundai dealer today. Offer ends September 6th. Call 224-661-0068 for details.
Join us for Family Sundays at Guaranteed Rate Field with tickets starting at 10 bucks and parking for only 15 Bring your family out to the ballpark for a day full of fun. Family Sundays are proudly presented by Coca-Cola. Visit WhiteSox.com slash Sundays to purchase your tickets today. I'm Connor McKnight. You're listening to White Sox Weekly, of course. Guardians and White Sox are the matchup tonight. It's a 5-10 first pitch. With Len Casper and Darren Jackson coming your way at 5 o'clock in the pregame show starting at 4.30. James Fegan covers the White Sox for The Athletic. Uh, and I was just scrolling through. I, Eric Ostrowski, our executive producer, of White Sox baseball, was scrolling through Twitter and doing work. So it's his the fruits of his labor that we bring you this. Uh, James just tweeted this out a few minutes ago. He talked with Eloy Jimenez, and I will read you the tweet in case you are driving. You should not be scrolling on Twitter. If you shouldn't be scrolling anything, you should put your phone down. If you're driving, don't use your phone while you're driving. Eloy Jimenez said he had some concern last night because he felt soreness in his right knee, and it wasn't something he'd felt before. Despite waking up sore today, he said his leg responded well to treatment, and he's ready to go. So he felt something in his right knee, and it was something he hadn't felt before. Despite waking up sore today, Eloy said his right leg responded well to treatment, and he is ready to go. So just kind of thinking through this and reminding you of the, some of the conversation that's been around Eloy Jimenez since the, um, you know, the surgery and coming back from that hamstring, all that kind of stuff. Um, it sounded like, as Rick Hahn talked about, remember, because there were two rehab assignments, more or less, for Jimenez. He started the initial rehab assignment and then was removed after, I want to say, two games, so I will, and put back on IL. He had the rehab assignment paused. And that was because this particular surgery with the hamstring behind that part of the knee often has, I, I guess the best way, to, is some sort of secondary uh, effect. It is part of the rehab of the getting back to normal of this particular surgery. Yes, Monty Grandal had it, and I guess uh, Lance Lynn had it as well when he had this particular surgery done. Rick was telling us about this. It, it felt like, or it sounded like, Jimenez was also due to expect a new feeling of normal in that particular area, that surgically repaired area. And we've seen it before where Jimenez had something grab at him. In fact, it was a, in a game against the Guardians where he was tracking down a ball in the left center field gap, made a play. I mean, it was a fairly routine play. He got on his horse and made the catch. Um, and then was, you know, just kind of felt something in that knee, pulled up on his route, and then left the game. So it sounds like these kind of occurrences, you know, kind of feeling something weird happen to your knee, uh, is, it may pop up from time to time for him. Hopefully it's after an offseason that it, it no longer happens or whatever, and that sounds like there should be and, and Rick did mention this when we were all kind of uh, talking to him about it. It doesn't sound like there's going to be a need for further surgical procedures to address this for Jimenez. Uh, but hopefully that's going to be the case. We'll continue this part of the conversation in a little while. We're joined by White Sox starter Michael Kopech here on White Sox Weekly. Michael, appreciate you taking some time for us, my man. How you feeling? 
feeling great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so I, I'm glad you could join us, and I know you got a, a busy day of kind of getting ready for the start day by day by day. Um, a, a handful of things for you here. Last couple of starts for you have been really good. There was the six no-hit innings, and I we played your post-game interview with Jason and Steve, and I, I heard you mention that in the bullpen you didn't think things were going to go well at all. Why was that, and what was the bullpen like before you came out and pitched so well for those six no-hit innings? Um, I think I was uh, just a little too amped up, maybe. Um, I, I've kind of been working through some fatigue, and luckily I'm feeling really good right now, and that's not an issue. But going into that game, I wasn't sure how I was going to be feeling, so I was trying to trying to do a lot more than I needed to, and throw really hard and you know get some tightness out and I was yanking pitches uh into the left-handed batter's box I was spiking sliders and curveballs those airmelon change-ups and then um luckily by the time I got to the game mound I had you know had a chance to catch my breath and just settle in and realize that I, I need to you know throw to the zone and whatever I have that day will be there and it ended up working out but yeah it's <clears throat> kind of funny how those pregame bullpens go. They usually don't really correlate to the game itself. It's just more of a warm-up. It, it's funny. I, I've talked to a couple of guys. I mean, this is your first full season in the bigs as a starter, obviously. But I would guess that at some point having a routine of, you know, kind of the, the, the post-game of your bullpen session before you come in, you know, who you talk with, what you check on, all that kind of stuff, that's kind of got to be solidified as well as you figure out who you are as a big league starter, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think a part of it, uh, part of that, we get out of the way before before the pregame bullpen even begins. But yeah, afterwards, when you get back to the dugout or into the clubhouse or whatever guys' routines are, um, you know, you really get a chance to you know flush that, kind of decompress and recompose, um, and you know, get ready for the task at hand. And you know, I'd, I've been working with Yaz the past couple games and. Um, usually we have a pretty good idea of what we're going to do going into the first inning. Um, and then Katz is always a professional about that and giving you a game plan up front. So um, you kind of get to reevaluate where you're at and get your head in the right mind space. So it's it's definitely helpful after leaving that pregame pen and realizing that whatever you did down there was just to get you loose to go into a game and actually do the real work. What does it make you feel like when you kind of look at your arsenal and realize that the fastball you've got, whether it's 98 or 92, is impossible for guys to barrel up? <laughs> uh, yeah, I wouldn't say impossible because I've seen it happen a few times. Every now and again, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it's definitely um, a weapon that I've always leaned heavily on. And... Um, as I've advanced in my career, I've realized how much more of a weapon it's been than I've even realized. Um, so, you know, using that pitch and uh, learning to command it a lot better and learning to, you know, get into tough holes for guys' swings, um, that's really, it really kind of changed my whole whole approach to pitching, um, especially with having guys like uh, Lance on the team that, you know, He's he's made a career out of being fastball heavy and realizing that every single pitch I throw doesn't have to be perfect if I'm pitching off of you know my weapons and not pitching to their weaknesses but pitching to my strengths. 
I, I was looking through some of your numbers uh, on the baseball reference page before we started the show. And I realized that I had, I don't know how much you've uh, messed around with baseball reference. Some guys are, are on that page. Some guys aren't. Some guys find it in college and lose three days of consciousness like I did. Um, and I, I went and I, I sorted, okay, okay, well, this was Michael before the knee thing happened against Texas. And this was you after the knee thing happened in Texas. And I kind of caught myself against Texas, I should say. And then I caught myself thinking, well, I don't know if that's completely fair to take your season and split it into two parts like that at this point. Would you say that that's fair? Um, no. I mean, I, here's the thing. I, I don't, I, I'm not the kind of guy to, to want to make excuses for, you know, any, anything that's happened, whether it be good, bad, indifferent, whatever. Um, a lot of guys play through, you know, I don't even want to say injuries, but play banged up and, have to go out there and, and make the most of what they have every single time. You see it year in and year out with guys like uh, Jose Abreu, and uh, it, it doesn't affect his productiveness. And it, it's, it says a lot to who he is as a ball player more than the the talent that he was blessed with. But he, he's he's more of a ball player between the ears than most guys will ever be. Um, and I, I mean that with the utmost respect to him because he's a guy that, you know, leads by example in the clubhouse for everybody. So um, for me, I'd, I'd, I'd want to, you know, take that route to where, you know, if I if I have a nick here and there that it doesn't affect how I play. Um, and there's been, you know, some things that guys have to fight through that are a little more serious than others here and there. Um, for me, it, it hasn't been terribly serious, and I'm fortunate for that. Um, but but there has been some some ups and downs. But I think that's just the ebb, ebb and flows of a baseball season. Um, you're not gonna stay perfectly consistent for 162. You're not gonna be as productive every start as you were in your best one. Um, but you you got to make the most of what you got and give your team a chance to win every day. Uh, just a couple more with Michael Kopech here on White Sox Weekly. I do you. Will you look back at this season and have, like, a favorite start, do you think? Or maybe even, like, a favorite pitch that you threw that kind of, like, I don't know, has, is the theme of the year for Michael Kopech? Um, I don't know if I can think of a single pitch, but I, I can tell you the start. Um, so far, you know, and, and hopefully that there's, you know, great starts here to come. Um, but so far it's been um, – my start in New York against the Yankees. Sure. Um, and not even necessarily because of uh, the results. Like, I, I pitched a good game that game, but I uh, had come there directly from paternity leave after my son was born. Um, and it was just one of those moments that almost felt like a, a movie. And I felt like I was, you know, walking with something bigger than myself the entire game. I I felt completely in my element, but just like sleepwalking almost through the game. It's really hard to even put into words, but it's a game and a feeling that I'll never, I'll probably never match. Um, it's just one of those feelings. Do you, is, is that what you guys call the zone? I mean, is that the zone? Is that just being in the zone? Yeah, I, more than that. I, I think it is a little more than that because yeah. there's been games where I've been able to, you know, as you call it, be in the zone or be in flow state or, 
or however you want to put it into terms, and you just feel really good, almost unconscious, people say. Um, and this was to an extent that, but I also just, you know, I, I have three kids now, and having, you know, that in the back of my head and having having to leave my girlfriend after she just gave birth, and, you know, and going and doing something that seemed so small as to pitch a game in Yankee Stadium after she just birthed my child, even though to most people that would be a very huge thing, it, it almost seemed to not even pale in comparison to the birth of my child. So it was just one of those games where everything felt pretty easy, to be honest. That's awesome. That's insane, man. That's absolutely crazy. I, so I, I want to ask for a piece of advice if I can. We're due with our first in December. And since you're a vet of three, what would your piece of advice be to somebody who's having their first? I mean, I'm not going to go throw a game at Yankee stadium or anything in December, but I don't know if that's, if you think that'd help, I'm open to it. Um, I, I think, I, I mean, it, and ironically, it's probably similar advice to what I would give to someone who is pitching in Yankee Stadium, but I would just try to be as present for the entire process as you can. Um, there's, there's things that may seem stressful and overwhelming, and you may be racking your brain as to what you're going to do or what kind of father you're going to be, um, but um, it's... It comes to you once it happens, and it, it's the most rewarding thing in the world. I appreciate that, man. I really do. Thanks for the yeah, perspective, too, about uh, <laughs> about the whole Yankee Stadium thing. That's that's a really cool thing to have known that we were watching you do while you were doing it. Uh, you know, you could you look from the ten thousand foot view, and it's ah, there's Michael. He's got ninety eight in the dynamic slider tonight. What else is new? But it was so much more than that. That's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Michael. Appreciate it. Uh, good luck tonight. Good luck in the next start. Of course. Thank you, man. Michael Kopech, starter for the Chicago White Sox here on White Sox Weekly. We're going to step to a break. We'll be joined by Jason Benetti in just a little bit. This is White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Jason Benetti, the play-by-play voice on television for your Chicago White Sox, is our guest now here on White Sox Weekly. Hi, Jason. How you doing, man? Hi, Connor. How are you? I'm well. I'm absolutely well. I just had... I just got some really good advice on becoming a new dad from Michael Kopech, so we're clipping and saving that so it plays while I'm, you know, frustrated and scared about things later on this this winter. But that's neither here nor there, I guess. But uh, I'm good. I like the idea of you using uh, your standing as somebody who asks questions of a lot of people to just ask everybody you talk to about baseball or whatever sport about how to be a dad. Yep, that's uh, that's the plan. I've got I've got lens advice already in the bag. We're good there. Uh, Got to track down a couple other guys in the White Sox clubhouse while I have kids, but that is the plan for the next couple of months, that's for sure. I I wanted to talk with you today uh, because the White Sox are on the Peacock broadcast tomorrow morning, and, you know, about other things, and you're a lovely human and talk baseball and stuff like that, but I, I wanted to... What was the genesis of, of this broadcast that you guys have been doing for a couple of months now? What is the the mission statement of this? Why Sunday morning baseball? I, I think all these things are cool and different, uh, and I don't know that we've we've had um, you know answers for these yet or a good long talk about what this is for this sport right now. Yeah, let's have a nice talk. I, uh, I would say NBC has had such success with the Premier League 
and there's been great success with breakfast at Wimbledon in the past. And the idea is to have an exclusive window and kind of set the day on Sunday and just be the first to the field, essentially, to take from another network. But that's, you know, that's the idea is day baseball for all of us is where it all started, right? Like when you play Little League, you go to the field at 930 in the morning. And we've talked to so many managers this year who have reminisced about their days in Little League and just going to the field and not wanting the day to end. And that's kind of how it feels. And then the idea of the booth, I think, came in a lot of ways from back the way they used to do the World Series on television. You'd have an analyst come in from each team, and you'd have expertise that way. And so it's been great fun for all of us because you never know what you're going to get out of the booth. Like, you know, Sony and I have a rhythm, and Sony and Len have a rhythm. And, like, you've done one game with Steve, and – when you do a second game with C on, on TV, I should say, you work with them a couple times, radio and TV. But when you work with somebody a bunch, you end up getting into this rhythm and you kind of can finish each other's sentences. And then when sandwiches. that person is paired with your sandwiches, right? <laughs> that person can finish uh, your sandwiches. But when, when that person gets paired with somebody else, and then I jump in with these two new analysts generally, I mean, it's Stoney tomorrow and Rick Manning, but... Um, what ends up happening is you have conversations you never would have imagined otherwise, and you get so much out of the people that they wouldn't necessarily talk about with their regular partners slash friends. One of the things that I, I, I'm glad you brought up the analyst part first. One of the things I love about the Peacock broadcast that we'll have tomorrow morning for the White Sox and Guardians uh, at 11.05 is that you have chosen to have the analysts there that you do. I can't tell whether it's baseball or other sports, you get to a point where that booth, not you guys, but a booth can be to coin a phrase or to uh, borrow a phrase from an old friend of ours, kind of out of town stupid. And, and they lose perspective on what actually is happening in that clubhouse or how this team got there or how that guy got here. That you have you know, intimate connections to both of these teams, regardless of the broadcast um, or the teams that you're, you're, you're calling that matters a lot, I think, especially to baseball fans who are so provincial. I, I have to imagine that was uh, a huge part of how you were all putting this together. Absolutely. I mean, it's a massive part of it. And the idea that, you know, Sam Flood and NBC Sports came up with was to be able to ask those questions and go deeper than your average national telecast. And the cool thing is, you know, we have access to the clubhouse, we get 20 minutes with each manager and we get to talk to these guys in a different way than they get talked to on a regular basis. Cause we always are armed with somebody who knows them well too. So yeah, it's been, I think it's been a really successful idea and I hope, I mean, I know NBC is going to keep doing it, but I also hope that there's more of it out there. I wonder how, you know, cause you, you've done football, you've done basketball, you've done, ba- have you ever called a hockey game? I've done AAA hockey in Syracuse, and I can promise you the Blackhawks did the right thing by not <laughs> inviting me to do a game. Fair, I, don't know like, anybody, I, I don't know anybody who does hockey. I love, I love the sport. I love watching it. I actually love doing it. And you can describe the heck out of it on radio, and it's a really fun sport to call, but it's super hard. Like, I don't, I don't know how Pat did it at that level that he did it for so many years. Like, I, I just don't. In baseball, like somebody grabs a bat and they walk up to the plate, and you're like, "That's that guy. He's hitting." And when you're doing hockey, 
people are skating and they're jumping onto the ice randomly at different times. And you're like, I don't, I don't, this is different. I don't know. No, we're not. Substitution should not happen in play. No, it's, it's very difficult. I don't understand it. Uh, the fact that Weidemann's is good. I mean, he's, he's otherworldly, the whole deal. Um, I wonder though, since you have called other sports and this is very much, um, you know, it's an Island type broadcast, this Peacock thing. Does your prep for football, does your prep for a, a basketball game influence the way you go about prepping for, you know, it'll be a little different because you are calling the team that you, you know, call day to day. But does it influence the way you prep, the way you ask questions, the way you get about those two teams? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the key to prepping for these games is to know what questions to ask of the analysts, to know what the topics are that are important to that team, to go deeper into it, and, yeah, to find some things that are cool stories from inside the clubhouse myself or just have good knowledge about what to ask players and or managers. So, I mean, we have the local people with us, so it's not my job necessarily to overwhelm people with things they may have heard already about their own team. It's about going deeper with the other person and knowing what questions are the most incisive to ask. We're going to talk a little bit, talk with Jason Benetti, you know the voice, uh, the play-by-play man for your Chicago White Sox on television. Um, we're going to talk a little bit later on in the show uh, about the AAA game, the Charlotte Knights game that's going to be televised on the MLB Network that is going to use the ABS challenge system, the Automated Balls and Strikes challenge system in the game. It's going to be broadcast for the first time this way. Wondered how you're thinking now that we're getting closer and closer to this being part of your broadcasts on television, uh, how you are thinking now about the automated balls and strike system and the different variations that seem to exist within it. I personally love the hybrid system where it's balls and strikes called by the plate umpire, but you have the ABS backup with a certain amount of challenges. And from what everybody in Major League Baseball has told me uh, and us as announcers as a collective is, that the way it works is if somebody challenges, the umpire just says, okay, well, was it? And they get it down immediately, and the challenge takes like 10 seconds. It's really low maintenance. It's not like adding another replay challenge. It's not like that. It's challenge, what do you have? It's a strike, move on. Nothing else. And, and I do like the idea in the minor leagues that they're using it in, that the players are the ones that have to challenge. Yes. So the catcher can challenge, the pitcher can challenge, the batter can challenge, and it has to come from them. And so I love that because it forces the players to be more engaged, and they need to self-police it too. I mean, we've joked about it a little bit on our telecast, but if you get a real type A guy who always believes he's getting squeezed and he uses all your challenges, everybody's going to hate him in the clubhouse real fast. If you're out of challenges by the sixth inning because that guy won't shut up, it's not, not going to be ideal. Well, I, I like the idea of a did not play was a jerk with the challenge call last night. You know what I mean? Like the, the coach's yes. decision, we had to sit him because he burnt through all of our challenges in the first inning. Yeah, like Phil, Phil just won't stop. He <laughs> just won't stop. Like he's just sitting in the corner challenging everything. It was all in one at bat. He used all five challenges. Now we're out and we hate him. <laughs> and we're trading him. He's being traded for a player to be in later yes. who won't use all these damn challenges. Uh, finishing up here with Jason Minetti on White Sox Weekly. You know, Luis Robert returns to the lineup for the White Sox tonight. He is in center field. He is hitting second. This means fill in the blank for the White Sox both tonight and for the next couple of weeks, hopefully. 
Yeah, you kind of need him. I mean, he's been one of the best hitters on this team, I feel like, and the numbers bear that out. And when he's been healthy, he's been a good center fielder, too. So my, my thing is you need to have him because there's not there's not the expected home run potential in this team. And you saw last night, we all saw, they got four hits in the first inning and two runs. If one of those is a homer, you might put Cleveland early. And I just... I, you got to have home run potential in this lineup, and I hope he adds it. Yeah, hopefully Eloy Jimenez is able to add a little bit of that pop, and and it sounds like Andrew Vaughn is um, none the worse for wear or looks terrible, but also feels fine. So hopefully he's able to grab a bat if they need him either tonight or tomorrow. I I, I thought I thought the worst when I saw Andrew Vaughn get hit by that baseball last night. I did, too. I mean, I, the way he reacted and when he's holding his face like he is, I thought he might have gotten a couple of teeth popped out or something like that. But, yeah, he, you know, I, I've joked around that he looks like Emilio Estevez a little bit. Now he looks a little bit like Emilio Estevez if that coach from Mighty Ducks took a swing at him. But, you know, like, I, Andrew's, I'm really impressed with Andrew Vaughn. Like, I, I'm not one of those for capital T toughness as, like, a trait. Yeah. But, man, he wants to be in the lineup. He wants to play. He loves playing baseball. He's just a pure hitter. And I, I don't know. I'm just I'm impressed to tech with that guy. The more I talk to him and the more I see him. Not for nothing. Have you seen him today, or you, will you head into the clubhouse a little later? No, I, so I was in the clubhouse, but he wasn't in there. Sure. So I've not seen his mug yet, but we'll, uh, we'll see it at some point during the telecast. All right. Jason, appreciate you as always. Have a great show tonight and a great show on the Peacock broadcast tomorrow morning, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, Connor. Have thank, a good one. Thank you. That's Jason Benetti, the television voice of the Chicago White Sox, and he will also be the play-by-play commentator on the Peacock broadcast tomorrow. Remember, it is a morning baseball game tomorrow. 11.05 start for the White Sox and Guardians. Now, there might be some weather coming through. that uh, We'll be fine. We'll be fine. We're going to get in before the weather comes around. We'll have morning baseball. Breakfast and baseball and coffee and danishes and stuff. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. Lots more to do here on the show this afternoon. Our pregame show gets going at 4.30. If you missed the Michael Kopech interview, I, I thought it was pretty good. I thought Kopech was great. We'll bring a little bit of that back to you as well. It's the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. to the ballpark for summer t-shirt series on thursday september 1st the white Sox take on the kansas city royals at 1 10 p.m that day first 10,000 fans will receive a white Sox t-shirt designed by liz flores and presented by moraine valley community college for tickets visit whitesocks.com slash summer series this song is everywhere right now and i listen i'm bringing it up for a reason i mean it's been players at bat songs uh, it is played at the park, quite frankly. We have put it into our, what do we call it, a rotator? Is that what it is? Put it into our rotator. It's got all the songs on there. I don't know if we put it in there. I don't know if I put it in there. I put it in there. But it's it's a banger. It's what it is. And I like that we're going old school with some of the musical tastes, some of the musical preferences. I like that we're going back to the 80s for some of the stuff that kind of sounds like it does now. And then maybe maybe layer like Stranger Things layered some other stuff down underneath that that bass beat and, and maybe some some extra th- drums or synth stuff uh, and then threw it into the thing and now it's a hit song again, Kate Bush. And the reason I bring it up, 
uh, is not just because it got played here, uh, but because we are kind of going back to old school with the pitching matchup tonight. Yes, it is a segue. It is a full circle wraparound job here. The Johnny Cueto-Shane Bieber matchup tonight feels a little old school to me, right? Guys who can pitch to contact, but also get a handful of strikeouts. Guys who don't have to work at the very top of the velocity spectrum. I mean, Shane Bieber certainly would like to and has in the past in his career, but doesn't so much anymore. Bieber's got a 3-1-8. Johnny Cueto's been absolutely uh, magnificent the last couple of starts, throwing a lot of innings as well. Uh, you're listening to White Sox Weekly, and coming up at 4 o'clock, we're going to get back into Tony LaRusso said a couple of things about where Luis Robert is at with his wrist. Um, there are some tweets out from White Sox beat reporters. Going to get into that, talk about how Luis Robert is feeling. He's in the lineup tonight, batting second for the Sox and playing center field. Uh, but there are some particulars there that I want to discuss. We just got done talking with Jason Benetti, television voice of the White Sox. And he brought something up, uh, we brought something up in that conversation that I wanted to bring up in the show as well. Uh, on MLB Network tonight, if you have it, the Charlotte Knights are playing a ball game on MLB Network. The, the reason is going to be because they want to debut on the MLB Network, the Charlotte Knights and Syracuse Mets. Oh, and it's streaming free on MLB.com and in the MLB app, so that's really cool. You can get it regardless of whether you have the network or not. Uh, it's six, 6 o'clock start, so uh, you know you tune in after the White Sox are done or simulcast it or watch one on your phone or watch one on your tablet or whatever you're into. They're going to use the automated balls and strikes challenge system tonight at that AAA game. It's going to be brought. This is a, a national broadcast for the first time with these new rules, all of which could be in the big leagues as soon as next season. We don't know that for sure yet, but we think these three rules are most likely going to be joining the bigs next year. And those three rules are a pitch clock, the larger bases, and an automated balls and strike challenge system. Now, two of those are self-explanatory, right? The larger bases, that, that makes they're, they're bigger. We did it. Yay. And there's a whole bunch of different reasonings that, that I've been given for the larger bases, the most, the most important of which is that it's, it's safer. It should allow more space, you know, for guys sliding in to make contact with the bag and hopefully not with people. Looking at you, Jonathan Scope, don't block second base when Luis Roberts sliding in, all that kind of stuff. I think that matters. I think that could be good. It also may increase stolen bases. You know, first base is a little bit bigger and second base is just a little bit bigger still. Uh, then that distance between first and second has shrunk the requisite amount, and then maybe you get a couple more stolen bases. I know baseball wants a lot more of those. Could help. The other one is the pitch clock, and I have been talking about pitch clock on this show, in the pregame show, the postgame show, on the broadcast when I fill in for Len, all that kind of stuff. I, I think this is going to really change the game, the pitch clock in Major League Baseball. And I don't think it's just because things are going to go faster. I hear a lot of um, old-school baseball fans, nothing against you either, love you, uh, learn the game from you. Old-school baseball fans were like, oh, we don't need a clock and all this kind of stuff. I, I hear you. I get it. But I'm not about the pitch clock because necessarily it's going to shave time off the game, but it, it will. But it's because how it's going to change the way the game needs to be played. Guys got to get themselves back up onto the hill and throw. And I maintain that it's going to be more difficult to throw 99 miles an hour on four or five consecutive pitches if you got to throw each one of them in 14 seconds from the last. That's hard to do. 
I mean, you see guys walk and stomp and spit and chew and all this kind of stuff and then hump it up to 99 miles an hour. Well, you don't get to do that anymore. And I think if there's a little bit less velocity in the game because of that, which there could be, then there's going to be a little bit more contact in the game because of that. Because it's easier, it's just easier to hit 96 than it is 99. I mean, it's impossible for me to hit anything that's over 90. Can't even see the darn thing. But for those of them that are professionals, it's easier to hit 96 than it is 99. And I think we want more contact in the game, right? We want rate of play, rate of play, rate of play. Now, the third one is this. And Jason and I talked about it a little bit in the interview. If you missed it, download the ESPN Chicago app. All of our shows are downloadable in podcast form. If you missed the Michael Kopech interview, we're going to play a little bit for you here toward the end of the show. But if you want to download it, play it for your friends, we'd love it. That'd be great. It's the automated balls and strike challenge system. Now, you've heard about robo-umps, right? Robot umps. This isn't that, but it is that same tracking system. It's the the Hawkeye tracking system that's been in play in tennis for a really long time. But instead of that system calling every pitch and saying, yep, ball, yep, strike, or whatever computer voice they want to do it in, it's going to be based on a challenge system. The home plate umpire will call balls and strikes just the way he always has. In his ear is going to be a hookup to the Hawkeye system. And when the batter or pitcher or catcher decide that they want to challenge a particular ball or strike call, they just ask the ump. The system, the computer, the robot, will have already decided, because it's measuring each and every pitch, whether that is a ball or whether it is a strike, whether it was properly called or not, and then go, yep, strike, nope, ball. Yes, ball, nope, strike. And you get the right call. Those challenges are going to be limited between three and five, they've been, you know, using, uh, I think it's five in the minor leagues right now, and that might change, you know, all that kind of stuff is on the, on the, on the fence. Or not on the fence, but still pending, I guess, in terms of the rule changes go. But I like this idea of the challenge that exists down there at the minor leagues. I like the idea of having um, more accountability in this game, right? If you are a baseball fan that watches umpires do their job, and by the way, there's a lot of numbers, a lot of math out there that would tell you that umpires now are much better than they've ever been before, but that doesn't mean that because we watch with this strike zone painted on our television screen, it's really easy to call out an umpire and say, what are you doing, Wagner? You know what I mean? Like, we all, we've all had that hawk moment screaming at an umpire on a television screen with a runner on second base, and the White Sox are down one. My God. This, though, I think brings some of that accountability literally into the game. And I think that's going to excite a lot of baseball fans. I really do. We'll take some phone calls when we get back from a break. We're going to talk about Luis Robert getting back into the lineup. We'll talk with Ron from Bolingbrook on the other side. We'll do all of that in just 10 seconds. We pause it here for station identification. Saturday, September 3rd is Socks Crawl, presented by Miller Lite. Don't miss an exclusive entry to a pregame crawl beginning at 2.30 p.m. before the White Sox take on the Twins at 6.10. Enjoy food and drink specials, receive an official Irish Sox jersey, play games, win prizes, and more. Get your tickets today at whitesox.com slash crawl. I'm Connor McKnight. You're listening to White Sox Weekly. We've got some particulars on Luis Robert we're going to talk about here in just a second. But we had been talking 
about the uh, what feels like imminent rules changes to Major League Baseball. We got done in a conversation with Jason Benetti talking about him a little bit. I pontificated a little bit more. And then in Bolingbrook, Ron decided to pick up the phone and join White Sox Weekly. So we figured we'd talk to Ron real quick. What's up, my man? Hey, Connor. I love listening to you on the radio. You're delight to hear, well, man. thanks, it's, Ron. Your knowledge for baseball is amazing. Well, thank you. So, as far as the pitching clock goes, okay, I know they want the pitchers to speed up. I understand that. So, what if the batter is the reason the clock runs out? What are they going to do in, in that situation? Give them a strike or what? I, I, because sometimes... The batters take a long time, too. It's not just the pitcher. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Uh, gosh, who was it against the Astros that was just taking forever to get? I think it was Jordan Alvarez. Oh, he was taking forever. Jordan Alvarez. He was taking an hour and a half to oh, get in the batter's Yeah. Oh. Yes. They've got a clock on that, them as well. It's 14 seconds. That, has that pitch has to, has to do be with thrown. The pitcher, so I was wondering if they have a clock. Sure. So if he's not in the box by the time, as, as I understand it now, Ron, and this could go through a couple of changes after they've done the whole minor league season and, and figure things out, uh, pitcher can just throw it and it'll be a strike, whether that guy's in the batter's uh, box or not. Um, I, I believe like <laughs> I believe they may just assess a strike as well if that's he's not in the batter's box and that pitch clock has run out so the pitcher doesn't have to throw um, because that could be a disaster. You know, if the guy loses a wild pitch or something like that, it'd be weird. Um, yeah. But, yeah, there are consequences, and both the batter and the pitcher will be held accountable to cool. that pitching clock. Thank you. Yeah, you got it, Ron. Appreciate you, my man. Fair, good question. We all just kind of assess the fit. You know, it's just it's Pedro Baez back there. It's, it's that guy walking around for an hour and a half before he throws a pitch. But no, it is the batter as well. And if you remember, this was David Ortiz was still playing. So I want to say it was like 2009 or maybe 10 or maybe even 11, something like that. It was the, the year before his final season, if, if memory serves. Baseball had an edict passed down because this has been it's been on the books for a while that the batter actually does have to get back into the batter's box and participate in the game and not pull Nomar Garcia para, take his batting gloves off, re-sew them together, and then put them on and then bat, right? Like swing the damn bat, Nomar. But there was a season where we actually umpires were getting batters back into the batter's box. And Ortiz was, you know, had kind of a dust up or something like that in Boston. Uh, with an umpire, you know, get back in the box, and David didn't really want to, and he was like, no, please do it, and then they called a ball on, or uh, called a strike on him. I, that sped up games that year, and then we just kind of abandoned it toward the All Star break or after the All Star break. Um, so I, I hope that helps. I, I think that kind of accountability is good, um, and I, I talked about it before. I think that does a lot for this game, both in terms of time of game, uh, investment into that time of game, and, and the kind of baseball that you're watching while you're watching it. So. Here's what we know on Luis Robert right now. He is batting second and in center field for the White Sox tonight in the lineup. That has not changed. James Fegan uh, and other White Sox beat reporters have tweeted something similar. I'm going to read from Fegan's Twitter account here. Tony LaRussa said Robert took some more swings today and wants to try playing through the soreness. Robert still looked affected by it during batting practice yesterday and his wrist, Robert's, is taped up today. That's the latest from James Fegan. We're going to give you a little preview of the very exclusive Len Casper, Tony La Russa interview that's coming up in the pregame show here. It's just a little 20-second cut where Tony goes into a little bit more detail about Luis Robert, the wrist, and the decision to play him today. Now, remember, 
Robert has been out for nearly seven games. I say nearly because he pinch ran for Aloy Jimenez on Wednesday night against the Astros. That is the only appearance he has made since spraining that list, lit wrist going into second base where Jonathan Scope dropped the leg down to block him from the bag. Not a, not a, a cheap move. Not a dirty move, but a cheap move. And it cost Robert the week. He has been really good for the White Sox, and the Sox need every offensive performer they can possibly get. The runs just haven't been coming around for the Sox, and having Roberts better than not. Tony La Russa, earlier today. We've missed him dearly. He has been told that the pain that he feels now is more from the bruise. It's not like a muscle that's pulled and you're aggravated more. So he's just going to have to tolerate it. You know, we've watched him take some swings, and they haven't looked like normal swings, but he says he's good to go, so we're going to try it. It appears like it's a, it's a bad move. We'll take him out. So he's going to play at less than 100%. And because Tony can if it appears it's a bad move, we will take him out. Those were the last words from Tony La Russa there. I, I think that's key to understanding this. I think you have to, and we talked about this a lot when Robert sprained the wrist um, and wanted to try and stay in and ended up coming out of the game. There were some that said, ah, Robert's soft. He can't. Ridiculous at the time. I mean, truly ridiculous. The guy was busting it out of the batter's box to try and beat out an infield single that was hit to Javi Baez, of all people. A guy who can throw anybody out from anywhere, although this year's not Ben Baez's year. Still, potential's there. Then he tries to take second base in a one-run game to try and give the offense a chance to score him from second base with a single to anywhere. And he gets hurt while making the effort. This was two days after... Robert had made headlines for not busting it out of the batter's box. A mistake he made and then tried to clearly fix on the field by legging out an infield single and then trying to steal second base. Now, today, it seems that he wants to play even though he's not 100%. I mean, that I don't know a different way to take what, what Tony just said there. Luis Robert wants to play even though he is not 100%. The swings don't look normal. He wants to be in there for his guys. I think you have to tip the cap there while understanding that it should be true, and I I have no reason to believe otherwise, but it should be true that if Robert plays and it does hurt, he's got no way to do more damage to it. You know, short of being hit by a pitch, right, or or sliding in the same way and respraining the wrist or something like that. Yeah, those possibilities exist, but just in the normal course of swinging the bat at the baseball – he can't seem to make it any worse. And if that's the case, I can't imagine they'd green like this if it weren't. Then you go out and play through it. I think you have to tip the cap to Luis Robert in that instance. I think you have to understand that he saw Andrew Vaughn get hit square in the jaw by a baseball last. Again, hit the shoulder first and then the jaw, but there was a lot of blood and it hurt a lot. He tried to stay in the ball game. We talk all the time. I mean, all the time. Michael Kopech brought it up himself on the show earlier that if Jose Abreu can play through not having a leg attached to his body and still get himself out on the field and play first base for this team, then you can then go play. Kopech talked about it earlier today. We're going to bring some of that back for you a little bit later today. That matters on this team. Those examples, that, and let's not even call it examples, that demand to get yourself out there and play and provide for this baseball team if you can, you are hopefully seeing that permeate 
in Robert's decision to get out there on the field and provide for his team tonight. I I think a couple of things here, too. Robert had been swinging it really well lately, and the White Sox are playing a divisional opponent that needs every bit of advantage it can get. I would bet that a guy like Robert looks out there and says, as good as Adam Engel, A.J. Pollock, Gavin Sheets, Andrew Vaughn, as soon as you know you see those guys out there, you go, okay, great, way to go, boys, but I got to be me out there. I am as good as it gets, because you, know, you have to kind of think that way. So I got to get out there and provide. Luis Roberts going to try and do that, it sounds like. When we come back, I want to bring you uh, some selected portions of, of the interview we did with Michael Kopech because I thought it was a really good one. He talked a bit about the inner mindset of what it's like to be Michael Kopech. So we'll bring that to you on the other side of Quick Break. You're listening to White Sox Weekly. It's the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Your summer at the ballpark with Miller Lite bleachers and blue brews. Get one ticket and two beers starting at 27 bucks. You must be 21 and over with a valid ID. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash brew. We're closing it up here on White Sox Weekly. Thanks so much for listening and calling and tweeting and everything. A huge thank you to Jason Benetti, television voice of the White Sox, and to Michael Kopech for being our guests today. Also, thanks to Eric Ostrowski and Jake Cantu. Uh, we're going to say goodbye. Pre-game show's coming up at 4.30, but I wanted to leave you with a little bit of the interview I did with Michael Kopech just a little earlier in case you missed it. Uh, really good stuff here, and I began by asking him, what is it that goes into a start where a bad bullpen turns into one of your better starts of the year? Just a little too amped up maybe um i i've kind of been working through some fatigue and luckily i'm feeling really good right now and that's not an issue but going into that game i wasn't sure how i was going to be feeling so i was trying to trying to do a lot more than i needed to and throw really hard and you know get some tightness out and i was yanking pitches uh into the left-handed batter's box i was spiking sliders and curveballs airmelon change-ups and then um, luckily, by the time I got to the game mound, I had, you know, had a chance to catch my breath and just settle in and realize that I, I need to, you know, throw to the zone and whatever I have that day will be there. And it ended up working out. But yeah, it's <clears throat> kind of funny how those pregame bullpens go. They usually don't really correlate to the game itself. It's just more of a warm up. It, it's funny. I've talked to a couple of guys, and this is your first full season in the bigs as a starter, obviously. But I would guess that at some point having a routine of, you know, kind of the, the, the post game of your bullpen session before you come in, you know, who you talk with, what you check on, all that kind of stuff, that's kind of got to be solidified as well as you figure out who you are as a big league starter, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think a part of it, uh, part of that we get out of the way before, before the pregame bullpen even begins. But yeah, afterwards when you get back to the dugout or into the clubhouse or whatever guys' routines are, um, you know, you really get a chance to, you know, flush that, kind of decompress and recompose um, and, you know, get ready for the task at hand. And, you know, I've been working with Yaz the past couple games and um, usually we have a pretty good idea of what we're going to do going into the first inning. Um, And then Katz is always a professional about that and giving you a game plan up front. So um, you kind of get to reevaluate where you're at and get your head in the right mind space. So it's 
it's definitely helpful after leaving that pregame pen and realizing that whatever you did down there was just to get you loose to go into a game and actually do the real work. What does it make you feel like when you kind of look at your arsenal and realize that the fastball you've got, whether it's 98 or 92, is impossible for guys to barrel up? <laughs> uh, yeah, I wouldn't say impossible because I've seen it happen a few times. Every now and again, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it's definitely um, a weapon that I've always leaned heavily on. And um, as I've advanced in my career, I've realized how much more of a weapon it's been than I've even realized. Um, so, you know, using that pitch and uh, learning to command it a lot better and learning to, you know, get into tough holes for guys' swings, um, that's really, it really kind of changed my whole whole approach to pitching, um, especially with having guys like uh, Lance on the team that, you know, he's he's made a career out of being fastball heavy and realizing that every single pitch I throw doesn't have to be perfect if I'm pitching off of, you know, my weapons and not pitching to their weaknesses but pitching to my strengths. I, I was looking through some of your numbers uh, on the baseball reference page before we started the show. And I realized that I had, I don't know how much you've uh, messed around with baseball reference. Some guys are, are on that page. Some guys aren't. Some guys find it in college and lose three days of consciousness like I did. Um, and I, I went and I, I sorted, okay, okay, well, this was Michael before the knee thing happened against Texas. And this was you after the knee thing happened in Texas. And I kind of caught myself against Texas, I should say. And then I caught myself thinking, well, I don't know if that's completely fair to take your season and split it into two parts like that at this point. Would you say that that's fair? Um, no. I mean, I, here's the thing. I, I don't, I, I'm not the kind of guy to, to want to make excuses for, you know, any, anything that's happened, whether it be good, bad, indifferent, whatever. Um, a lot of guys play through – you know, I don't even want to say injuries, but play banged up and have to go out there and, and make the most of what they have every single time. You see it year in and year out with guys like uh, Jose Abreu, and uh, it, it doesn't affect his productiveness. And it, it's, it says a lot to who he is as a ball player more than the the talent that he was blessed with. But he, he's, he's more of a ball player between the ears than most guys will ever be. Um, and I, I mean that with the utmost respect to him because he's a guy that, you know, leads by example in the clubhouse for everybody. So um, for me, I'd, I'd, I'd want to, you know, take that route to where, you know, if I if I have a nick here and there that it doesn't affect how I play. Um, and there's been, you know, some things that guys have to fight through that are a little more serious than others here and there. Um, for me, it, it hasn't been terribly serious and unfortunate for that um but but there has been some some ups and downs but i think that's just the ebb, ebb and flows of a baseball season um you're not gonna stay perfectly consistent for 162 you're not gonna be as productive every start as you were in your best one um but you you got to make the most of what you got and give your team a chance to win every day uh just a couple more with michael kopeck here on white Sox weekly i do you Will you look back at this season and have, like, a favorite start, do you think? Or maybe even, like, a favorite pitch that you threw that kind of, like, I don't know, has, is the theme of the year for Michael Kopech? Um, 
I don't know if I can think of a single pitch, but I, I can tell you the start. Um, so far, you know, and, and hopefully that there's, you know, great starts here to come. Um, but so far it's been um, my start in New York against the Yankees. Sure. Um, and not even necessarily because of uh, the results. Like, I, I pitched a good game that game, but I uh, had come there directly from paternity leave after my son was born. Um, and it was just one of those moments that almost felt like a, a movie. And I felt like I was, you know, walking with something bigger than myself the entire game. I I felt completely in my element, but just like sleepwalking almost through the game. I'd, it's really hard to even put into words, but it, it's a game and a feeling that I'll never, I, I'll probably never match. Uh, it's just one of those feelings. Do you, is is that what you guys call the zone? I mean, is that the zone? Is that just being in the zone? Yeah. More I, than that? I, I think it is a little more than that because yeah. there's been games where I've been able to, you know, as you call it, be in the zone or be in flow state or, or however you want to put it into terms. And you just feel really good, almost unconscious, people say. Um, and this was to an extent that, but I also just, you know, I, I have three kids now and having, you know, that in the back of my head and having, having to leave my girlfriend after she just gave birth, and, you know, and going and doing something that seemed so small as to pitch a game in Yankee Stadium after she just birthed my child even though to most people that would be a very huge thing, it it almost seemed to not even pale in comparison to the birth of my child. So it was just one of those games where everything felt pretty easy, to be honest.